I wonder if that rule should also be extended beyond the family to the preacher himself. Some two years ago, I rashly mentioned in the sermon that I joined the health club next door at the Roxburgh Hotel, as I mentioned in my children's talk. Since then, people regularly ask me at the door usually, going out, Pastor, are you still going to the gym? And how are you getting on? Which, if nothing else, is a spur to keep going rather than having to admit that I've given up. So, to save you asking, at least for the next week or two, I am still attending the gym along with Bill Dedo, my fellow sufferer. And the week before Christmas, I got a printout of how I am doing. And you will see, if you can read the screen from there, I've improved by 79%. But you should bear in mind that I started from the lowest possible baseline. More worrying is the fact that I've only been 55 times in the last two years, an average, I'm told, of 0.6 times per week. Whatever excuses I might make, I was away on a sabbatical for three months, I'm away a month every holiday, I'm, I, you know, that's why I've not been so often. I could and should be doing better. This may call for a New Year resolution. However, there is another, and for, just take it off the screen now, there, there is another and far more important question I need to ask myself at the end of another year. And it is this. How am I doing spiritually? Am I making progress in my walk with God? Or in the words of our reading in Hebrews 12 verse 1, how well am I running the race that God has marked out for me? And I simply want to invite you this morning to join me as with the help of the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God, we review our progress over this past year and if necessary to make, with God's help, some New Year resolutions for 2003 in order to keep on running as we look together at Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament is written to Christians, almost certainly Christians who came from a Jewish background. Christians who were struggling in the race that God had marked out for them. We learn in Hebrews 10, from chapters before, verse 32, that they had begun the Christian race, not with cheering crowds, but in a baptism of fire, a great contest in the face of suffering. They've been insulted, persecuted, put in prison, had their property confiscated. Yet they had joyfully accepted it all because they knew it was all worthwhile. Verse 34, chapter 10, they knew they had better and lasting possessions. But now, some years later, they are on the point of giving up. Why? Mainly because the suffering had not let up, but had in fact intensified. The Roman authorities had rounded them up, beaten them up, brutally tortured, killed them in the arena, often by slow and painful means. And the result is that these Christians had become weary and disheartened. That is why he says in chapter 12, verse 3, he's writing so they won't grow weary and lose heart. Their arms had become feeble, their knees had become weak, verse 12. 
and along with this was the pull of the old life. For under the Roman persecution, Jews were exempt. So if you went back to saying, I'm a Jew, not a follower of Christ, then you would avoid persecution and suffering. The result is that they are no longer running well. They are, in fact, tempted to give up. And I want to say this morning, behind the facade, many of us can maybe identify with these Hebrew Christians, though maybe for different reasons. Maybe you have lost the joy and vigour that you once had as a Christian. Instead of running regularly and consistently, you now only run or jog for an hour or two on intermittent Sundays. Maybe something has happened which has knocked you out of your stride. Some great crisis which hit you in the stomach. You can't understand it and you have never run well since then. Or more commonly, it didn't happen all at once but gradually you've grown out of condition got out of condition perhaps the pressure got to you and slowed you down and first of all it was just something simple you gave up that active Christian service in which you were involved every week then your daily Bible reading and prayer began to become irregular and now is reduced to the occasional snatch moment if you feel like you can think of it then you stopped coming to the prayer meeting and you gave up your fellowship group and then the evening service and all that is left now is the occasional morning service and if truth were known if you were really honest you'd actually at this point prefer to be in bed reading the Sunday newspaper and if you had the courage of your convictions you would probably give up altogether all it will take is a good excuse like a house move or the demands of work or some personal crisis or problem which you can blame on God and then you will be gone. Sadly, I do not exaggerate. At the end of this year, if you're a member of this church or indeed any church, you can look around and see that there are missing people. People who were here a year ago but no longer worship in a church. They've given up running. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you can think of people you knew who were enthusiastic, keen Christians who no longer follow Christ. Some of them were Sunday school people. Some of them were deacons. Some were elders. Some were even pastors. the question I ask myself as I ask you is who will be here in a year's time and if you're saying sitting there saying oh it never happened to me then you're in you're on dangerous ground for giving up and going back is a danger for all of us and this letter is addressed therefore the word of God not just to Hebrew Christians but to all Christians it is a warning to Christians this letter is a healthy corrective to complacency. However, it is not a book that's just a negative warning. You know, don't go back, don't give up. In fact, one of the key phrases in this book is, let us go on. And the opening verses of Hebrew 12 describe 
how we can be enabled to keep on running. And I simply want to look this morning at four factors, or if you like, in athletic terms, four coaching strategies which will help us to run well. And I've summarised them under four words which may help you to remember. The first is the word inspiration. Look what he says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the picture is of a, of a magnificent Greek amphitheatre. You know the kind of thing you see in these archaeological sites, with row upon row of tiered seats, filled with cheering spectators. These, however, are no armchair supporters. These are previous champions who have all run the race and finished the course well, despite great difficulties. And the reason why it says therefore at the beginning, what the therefore is therefore, is because it refers back to chapter 11, which is all about the heroes and heroines, men and women of great faith from Old Testament times who persevered and kept going. Uh, there is no clear evidence in the Bible that these people can see us, literally. But we can see or read and reflect upon their lives and example, as an inspiration to us to keep going when the going gets tough. And we have more than this. We have not only the record of Old Testament saints, we have the record of New Testament Christians who also ran well. And the heroes and heroines of faith are not limited to New Testament times, didn't stop at the end of the New Testament. The record of the history of Jesus Christ, of the Church of Jesus Christ, can be a source of great encouragement to all of us if we were not so ignorant about it, most of us, people from church history. Let me encourage you, at least one person spoke to me when I mentioned the other week and asked for a book to recommend to read, let me encourage you to study and read church history. It's a story of how people who were Christians persevered and kept going. It's a great inspiration. Uh, get a copy of Nick Needham's book. He's got two out now. There's another one almost finished. Christmas lesson told me. Uh, read the story closer to home. Read the story of the Scottish Covenanters. Jock Purvis's book, Fair Sunshine. Is it still in print? Not sure, but anyway, I remember reading it as a boy. The story of how the Scottish Covenanters lived and died for their faith. It was a great inspiration. I never forgot it. Read it as a teenager. Well, recently I profited from a very good book. I'm giving you a book series at Christmas, all right? Switch the telly off and do this new thing called reading, all right? It's really exciting, right? An excellent book. It's not very well scanned there. A book by a Christian psychiatrist called Gaius Davis. It's called Genius, Grief and Grace. The story of ten great Christians from the past who all had major personal or personality difficulties which God did not remove, but in fact used for his glory. And you'll be inspired to keep going. And one of those was still running well despite great difficulty. Suffering Christians today are a great inspiration to us, or would be if we took the trouble to find out about them and what they're doing. So often we're limited parochially to our own little world and forget the great world of Christians in other continents who are living, witnessing, suffering and sometimes dying for their faith. And whatever difficulty you may be facing at the present time, I guarantee this, you will find someone who will inspire you to keep going. I heard on the radio last week uh, that Paula Radcliffe, who was voted BBC Sports Personality of the Year, has been a boon to all the sports industry. Says that women in their thousands are going out and buying running shoes and uh, trainers and track, 
you know, all the kids, and going out running because they've been inspired by her example. If that's true in the athletic world, how much more true should the record of those who have run the race and are still running inspire us to keep going in the particular race that God has marked out for us? That's why it'd be great to come along this evening and hear one another share how God has helped us in this past year. It will inspire us to keep going when we hear of other people and how they're getting on. Some through very great difficulties, God has, God has helped them over this past year. It's a mutual encouragement. So that's the first thing, inspiration. Here's the second thing, second word, preparation. Look what he says. Let us throw up everything that hinders and sin which clings so closely. The athlete has to be prepared to run. You can't just turn up casually and join in. In fact, in the ancient Olympic or Greek games, no one was allowed to compete without proving to the authorities that he had trained for at least a year beforehand. And Hebrews 12.1 says there are two things we must discard if we're to run effectively. First of all, he says, everything that hinders. The word used here is literally a weight, a burden, or an impediment. It can refer to excess baggage that a person may be carrying, or even to excess body weight. The meaning is clear for Christians. There are some things in our lives which, although they are legitimate, and not morally wrong, detract from our Christian discipleship and slow us down on the, in the race. Legitimate things which hinder our progress. Perhaps it's a hobby, a sport, a relationship, an all-consuming career. Whatever it is, we must throw it off and rid ourselves of it if we're to run well as Christians and not to slow down. And I believe each one of us, if we're honest before God, know about the things in our lives which fit into that category. The end of the year is a good time for house cleaning. For throwing out those things in our lives which hamper us running effectively, stop us knowing and serving Christ effectively, wholeheartedly, worshipping with His people, caring for others in need. And this is a regular exercise, for we tend to pick up things as we go along, don't we? We start out with little, and then we accumulate more and more. And there are times when we need to stop and say, right, as this new year approaches, let me look at my, just stop for a moment and look at your daily program. It's a useful exercise to sit down and work out what you do with the hours and days of your week. I know we're all very pressurised look at what we do with our time and how effective we were serving Christ. And secondly, there are things that we have to discard that are illegitimate, which are described as sin that so easily entangles. Here the picture, of course, is from the ancient world, and you've seen it on the old film. The picture of people in those days used to wear these long flowing robes that stretched down to the ground and wrapped around the person. And they're fine for going about your normal business, for walking, but if you're going to run, then obviously if you run with one of those things on, you'll trip over. And the reference here is the particular sins which trip us up. Some of our older translations refer to it as besetting sins. That is, a sin which is a particular problem to a particular individual. 
And all of us are vulnerable in certain areas. And you don't need me to tell you what are the sins to which you are most prone. Very easy to look at other people's problems and say, wow, what a terrible thing. I've not got a problem with that at all. We forget to look inside and see the areas of our lives where we are vulnerable. And the end of a year is a good time for evaluation. Will you persist in cherishing and feeding that particular pet sin in your life? Or will you determine by God's grace to discard it, however costly it may be? I don't know what it may be, but I'm pretty sure most of us do. Sin which so easily entangled. William Cooper, one of the characters described in Guy Stavis' book, a man who suffered from severe depression for many years and yet wrote wonderful hymns at the same time. Summarised it in one of his hymns. The dearest idol I have known, whate'er that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only and so the spectators are in place the athletes are stripped for action now the race begins one that requires a third thing if we're to keep running which I would summarise as dedication he says let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us perseverance is one of the key words in this book of Hebrews it's one of the key themes you see it's one thing to start in a burst of enthusiasm it's another to keep going on running when the going gets hard whenever they show uh, on the news something like the London Marathon they always show you the beginning and you see those crowds of people it takes about 30 minutes for all 30, 40,000 to get past the start, starting line and they're all running along it's amazing isn't it you know, they're all in these uniforms and they're all laughing and cheering and waving to their friends and everything and then normally the next thing they show you is the end of the race and they don't look the same do they? they're kind of staggering around all over the place it's easy to start in a burst of enthusiasm and excitement but what is needed here is endurance the Christian life is not a sprint it is a marathon and the great need of every Christian runner is to persevere to keep on keeping on when things are difficult in fact I was tempted not to call it dedication but to call this perspiration because it does raise the sweat hard work over a long period I tell you this one of the hardest things in life is to be a Christian. And in our society, it's getting harder. Not easier. Because you're going against the tide, against the current. Oh, it's the greatest life imaginable. Make no mistake. But it's a tough life. And Jesus himself, when he spoke to people about following him, he always spelt out the cost of following him. You're going to come after me, sir? Take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. And each one of us has a particular race marked out for us. Look what it says. Run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Now, of course, in the analogy breaks down here. If you wanted to run the London Marathon and decided to run a different course to everyone else, it wouldn't count. But the idea here is that God has got a particular race marked out for each one of us. A particular course in life. A particular set of circumstances that God has given us in our lives. Now again, the great danger is that we always look enviously across the pew or up into the balcony to someone else and we think, wow, I just wish I had their circumstances. I just wish I was running the race that God had... If only God had marked out that particular race for me. You 
see, God has marked out a particular race for each one of us. Remember that story at the end of John's Gospel where the Lord Jesus Christ by the Sea of Galilee calls Peter again to follow him. Peter had given up or he disgraced him, denied his Lord and Jesus graciously comes and calls him again and says, follow me. And then it says, Peter turns around and he sees John, the disciple Jesus loved. And Peter says, what about him, Lord? And Jesus says, never mind about him, that's not your business. You follow me. You follow the course that I have laid down for you. And whatever course of life is marked out for us, the only important thing is to persevere. The only alternative is to go back. And the only sure sign that we belong to Christ, ultimately, is that we persevere. It's called the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And it's not an excuse for apathy, but an antidote to complacency. One of the sure sure marks of a saint is perseverance. When someone does not go on, when someone continues in sin without repentance, without confession, then we have no grounds to believe that such a person is a saint. That's why the book of Hebrews is such a set book. It talks about these great themes. If you've got a Bible there, just look at the end of chapter 10 and verse 35. And again, he's saying to the people who are, are going to give up the race. Hebrews 10 said, So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I'll not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who believe and are saved the importance of perseverance. So, here are these three things which will help us to keep on running. Inspiration, surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Preparation, let us throw away everything that hinders and sin which so easily entangles. Dedication, let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. However, if we stop there, we would be greatly challenged but not greatly helped. But the book of Hebrews tells us that we have something better even than those Old Testament saints, we have someone better. And here's the fourth and final aid which will help us to keep running, which I've summarized as motivation. It's not the best word, it's then like I think of. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. All of us know what an armchair spectator is. Many of us are armchair spectators. Either from our literal armchairs or go to any football match and you'll see thousands of armchair spectators who could do a lot better than the people who are actually playing the game. The reality, of course, is that they couldn't, and they don't. They're armchair experts. But in the Christian race, we do not have an armchair coach who cries from the gallery of heaven, do this, do that, don't do that. We have one who came into our world as one of us, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus, he says, is the author of our faith. He entered the world in human weakness as a tiny baby at the first Christmas. He grew up and faced all the trials and testing of the race in the same way as us and overcame every difficulty. Hebrews 4.15 describes him as one who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses for he was tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Finally, he triumphed in the greatest test when he completed the race. He is the perfecter of our faith. 
when Jesus died on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. And the root word there is the same word that you get from perfecter. He finished the course, completed it, well done. No loose ends left over when he died on the cross. So this Jesus, we learn, is the author and perfecter of our faith. He's been raised from the dead. He's now seated at the place of highest authority. His work of salvation completed. So we have someone, the only one, who has ever completed the course successfully. Run the race. He knows and understands the struggles and difficulties of the race in which we're engaged. Not only that, he is able to help us in the race. What we must do, therefore, at all times, is to fix our eyes on Jesus. The focus of our faith is Jesus. He is the author of our faith. True faith begins with Jesus. The barest essential of faith, Romans 10 verse 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now maybe you're not a Christian yet. Maybe you've never started the race. Or you've got the prospectus, you've read the conditions, you know what's involved, you understand what it's all about, but you've never actually begun the race. You need to come to the foot of the cross and see that Jesus died for your forgiveness. He has done all that is necessary and you need to turn from your sin and fix your eyes on him. Then he becomes the author of your faith. What better way to start a new year and end an old year than by coming and starting out on the Christian race. And he's the perfecter of our faith. You see, as you start off, he's promised that he will help you to finish. Apostle Paul writing to the Christians and Philippi says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it at the day of Jesus and bring, carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. But it requires our cooperation. Perhaps you're running poorly this morning. You feel like giving up and dropping out. He can forgive you and restore you to full effectiveness. Perhaps you're feeling that the going is tough. Things have happened in your life that are really difficult and painful. He is there alongside with you and in you by his spirit. Look away from the problems. Look away from the difficulties and look to Christ. Fix your eyes on him. In the words of verse 3, Hebrews 12, verse 3, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I've almost finished, but let me ask a final question. One that I've been thinking a lot about myself. Which part of the marathon race is the most difficult? I don't think it's the beginning. Very rarely see people collapse by the roadside in the first hundred yards. Let me put it another way. Does the Christian life get easier or more difficult as you go on? I've never run a marathon, but my impression is that finishing well is much harder than starting well. And many of us, there's that place in the race they call when you hit the wall, that big crisis. My, my notes actually say, 
many faces crisis midway through the race. It should be midway, do you know what I mean? The cloud just bumps. A point where we feel we can't go on. And how many find the final mile and the final stretch the most difficult to go on? See, many younger Christians naively think that the Christian life will surely get easier as you go along. Surely the battle with sin will lessen us. Surely you're far less likely to be tripped up if you're a mature Christian. Surely perseverance will become second nature after a time. But if you're an older Christian, you know that it's not so, is it? As I thought about speaking on this thing today and felt prompted to speak on it, I look back in my records. If you've been around long enough, you will know that Hebrews 12.2 was our verse for the year in 1994. And much of what I've said when I looked at my notes, I couldn't think of a much better way to say it, is what I said nine years ago. So looking back, if you've been around in this church for the last nine years, has it been plain sailing? No, it has not. It's been a tough time. It's been great things. Some have dropped out of the race altogether. Who knows what lies ahead? How much longer the race will last? As you look back on those years, as I look back at pastoral birth theory, there are some who have finished the course. Check the fact. Being of the Salvation Army, when does the call it promoted to glory? And we don't know when the finishing case is. But whenever it may be, one day each one of us will stand before the rostrum in the final adjudication. Right at the end of his race, in the last chapter of his last letter, the Apostle Paul writes about the final awards ceremony. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight finished the race, I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. That is the goal for which we're aiming. The joy of finishing well and hearing his well done. So until that day, let us keep on running. Until Jesus calls us, or in the words of Hebrews 9.28 he appears second time not to spare sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for it so let's keep on going let's pray for it as we conclude let's just spend a few moments quiet reflection there's some particular thing that God has spoken to you about this morning